0: This is the Roaring Elephant podcast, the 2nd of October 2018, podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my time-traveling co-host.
1: <laughs> Hello, Dave. How are you today?
0: I am very good today, and I was very good yesterday.
1: Yes, but I was going to tell the audience, but uh, yeah, you flubbed the intro, right? 1918.
0: Yeah, but only because you messed it up, and that was only because you messed up something else. So, <laughs> so anyway, it's all my mess up fault.
1: Fair enough.
0: Yeah, whatever. Pretty much.
1: Anyway, remember the the good old days, the summer days where life was easy and news was slow. Yeah. <laughs> things change, don't they?
0: They do. They do. There's lots of news, and there's lots of there's lots of things that we need to talk about. <laughs> so should we uh, get right into it?
1: Uh, Yes, definitely. I mean, one thing is already up and running. Uh, Faithful listeners and uh, followers of my epic tweets, I dare you to say it differently, (laughs) Uh, should already know that we are uh, currently doing a little raffle uh, for the DataWorks Summit events in Asia-Pacific and in uh, that environment. Not entirely sure what Asia-Pacific exactly contains. But anyway, there's DataWorks Summits going on in October and November, and those are in Singapore, Tokyo, and Melbourne, Australia. And we're giving away tickets.
0: We are indeed. They're essentially sort of little one-day recaps of the the full sort of San Jose DataWorks Summit. Yep. So, um, you know, all the highlights um, delivered in the local regions. So anybody that missed the, uh, a lot of the big announcements that uh, came out during San Jose... These are the events to catch up on all the big news.
1: Well, it's good that they do that because, uh, I mean, if the DataWorks Summit would be only in Australia, it would be very hard for me to go and attend. So I'll be happy that uh, I got a little recap here locally. So. It's a good thing. So
0: It is a good thing. Do you want to tell them about the mechanics of the giveaway?
1: Uh, yeah, considering that it's uh, these events are actually happening in October, November already, it's not that much time. So we're not doing our traditional send us uh, retweets and uh, we'll put you in a pot and draw a ticket. We're, we're just giving out an email address, and the email address is dws18apac at org. Just send us an email, tell us which event you want to attend, because we have free entry for each and every one of those. Send us an email, and we will uh, pick lucky winners. Simple as that.
0: Yep. So the email address will be in the show notes. Check that out. Again, Uh, Singapore, Tokyo, or Melbourne. The email address, dws18apac at roaringelephant.org.
1: I will be tweeting about it as well. And, uh, well, feel free to retweet my tweets and spread the good news.
0: Indeed. Or see my LinkedIn posts for the same information.
1: Yes, because Dave has been doing social media, people.
0: I know. I feel dirty. Anyway, (laughs) moving on, moving on. Um, There are more events happening. There's more going on than just DataWorks Summit. Yes, there is. So we've been talking to uh, Sai from uh, Solix, and uh, they have an event coming up, Solix Empower. In fact, we have uh, a brief chat with uh, Sai coming up. But uh, just a, a quick little piece about that, um, we have some free tickets, more about it after the intro, but if you're interested in, I would say, applications running in a big data world, then uh, then Solix Empower might be an interesting conference for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have talked about 10-15 uh, minutes with Sai, uh, gave us a lot of information about uh, well, the company himself, but also about the event itself, and... Uh, have a listen. This is a different take on the whole uh, big data event show. So uh, mm-hmm. I think it's uh, interesting. It's in New York, so it's a bit far away for us to attend, I'm afraid. But uh, well, I'd say let's uh, let's side with the
0: talking. Indeed. So, Sai, thanks for joining us. Um, welcome to the Roaring Elephant Podcast. Ah, uh, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Yom. Welcome. So perhaps uh, perhaps. Introduce yourself to the audience, give them a bit of a flavor as to who you are and, and what you get up to.
2: Okay, perfect. Uh, my name is Sai Gundavelli. I'm founder CEO of uh, Solix Technologies. Uh, we are focused on uh, big data applications. Uh, we provide a uh, software data platform uh, essentially to bring all the data sources uh, uh, from all data sources into a single platform and uh, provide tools to govern the data provide tools to uh, analyze the data uh, is what we provide and we provide applications such as uh, uh, application archiving ap- data retirement uh, uh, you know uh, cash flow management cash flow analytics uh, gdpr uh, uh, compliance management so we provide bunch of applications on top of our data platform so essentially uh, this is a uh, software that big enterprises use uh, for uh, optimizing their cost uh, with our archiving we help them to optimize uh, their storage costs compute costs etc we also help on compliance management uh, such as gdpr and mm-hmm. uh, we also have uh, cash management for enterprises, how to optimize cash uh, when you're a big enterprise uh, with multiple organizations throughout the world, how to optimize cash. And then we also help them on cloud optimization, what data should be on uh, cloud, what data should be on-premises, etc. We also provide that. And then finally, we also provide customer 360 degree. We help companies to analyze the customer what to sell? You know, uh, what's the upselling opportunity, cross-selling opportunity to each of the customers? So it's a, it's a application framework on top of big data.
0: Nice, nice. So, from um, one of the things that Yon Yon pointed out to me is actually you've been you've been uh, there for for over twenty two years, and you're you're one of the the founders. Is that correct?
2: I have been uh, in business for last. 22 years i've been uh, part of like a bunch of startups uh, way right. back when the erp was just emerging etc since then i've been an entrepreneur uh, this yep. particular company uh, is from 2003
0: okay okay so uh, it's 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 interesting because i was going to say it, it almost sounds like it, it's a, it's a hot new startup all focused around you know, the enterprise nature of big data yeah, you've you've been sort of in this space with uh, with some of the ERP su- solutions for for a lot longer. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So you originally uh, you reached out to us, uh, and thank you for that, mm-hmm. to to sort of see if we'd be willing to um, have a, a conversation around the conference that's coming up, this uh, Sonics Empower.
2: So. Um, Perhaps you could uh, tell us what what Solix Empower is all about. So started this Solix Empower conference around two years back. The Mm -hmm. reason for us to get started on that, Mm -hmm. uh, if I look at all the big data conferences that are out there, they're all primarily focused on infrastructure, such as Hadoop infrastructure. Mm -hmm. You look at Strata Conference, Heart and Work Summit, etc. It's all about like a... uh, you know hadoop infrastructure etc but at the same token uh, if you look at gartner and forrester reports uh, they claim that you know majority of the implementations are failing uh, what the problem that we are seeing you know you have an answer looking for a solution uh, looking for a problem you know you've got this huge infrastructure and people are trying to figure out how do i use this to solve what problem and uh, and most of the enterprises have just been okay. It's a free download. Let me just download it and start playing with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, companies have not been able to create a scalable uh, multi-solution kind of a platform yet. And that's what we saw as an opportunity. And how did we arrive at that? We started our journey as a application archiving company. We help companies to archive, you know, PeopleSoft, SAP. JD Edwards, IBM applications, et cetera, we provide application archiving. And structured data is a very important uh, data set in an enterprise. In order to do that archiving, we need to understand the metadata. We need to understand the governance aspects of the data, et cetera. Mm-hmm. When we solve that problem uh, and when we saw, you know, what Hadoop is a, you know, commodity storage. And, uh, we can archive it to a platform like Hadoop, made like a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And then we said like, look, Hadoop can also take care of unstructured data and semi-structured data as well. So then we created a in an archive platform for all data in an enterprise. And the use case was cost, reduce cost, reduce you know. Co- uh, uh, re- reduce your uh, database sizes of your production applications you improve the performance and then you also re- reduce the cost of what you pay to database vendor application vendor etc because they are generally based on the number of cpus etc and that's how we started our journey to provide uh, enterprise archiving application on top of the uh, on top of Hadoop and then we extended the same platform to bring in active data uh, you know that's that's what you know uh, everybody calls as a data lake etc mm-hmm. but when we combined active data and the historical data all of a sudden it has become a, a gigantic data platform where we have optimized the ingestion both from a uh, you know uh, archive ingestion for archiving which is generally moving the data meaning you copy the data and then you delete the data at the source that's what is moving the data whereas for a data lake it's just copying the data you're not deleting any data at source etc so we use the same ingestion strategy both ingesting for archiving purpose as well as ingesting for uh, active data purpose and then we are providing governance on top of the platform as well like uh, who can access what data, etc. When you bring in data from multiple data sources, etc., you got to uh, have a good data governance in terms of uh, accessing and all of that. And then the third thing that we built is, like a, now that we have all the data, how do you unleash the data? We have built an API framework where we provide any data set as an API for third parties to build analytics or uh, for an enterprise to build analytics on top of the platform. So it's a, it has become a complete platform for ingestion, governance, and data preparation for analytics. And we provided pre-built analytics and pre-built applications such as application archiving, email archiving, document archiving, our, uh, application retirement, and uh, GDPR compliance. Uh, so those are the applications that we kind of really built. So that's how we kind of built as a platform. And we felt enterprises need to understand how to monetize this data so this conference is all about you know you know application providers on top of big data so in a, to a lo- to a decent extent i can really compare we are like a, more like an oracle applications if you call hadoop as a oracle database we are more like an oracle applications application framework on top of our uh, on top of hadoop so this conference us and bunch of our partners are all focused on big data applications for enterprises and uh, we have uh, verticals we are doing something on healthcare for instance you know we are bringing in people from the healthcare uh, to talk about data driven healthcare mm-hmm. we also have a panel on banking data driven banking uh, we also have a panel on uh, pharmaceuticals you know we have companies like Mark are coming etc talking about like a data driven pharmaceuticals uh, and then uh, we are also Uh, doing on um, insurance as well again these are all industries which have like a massive data helping them to monetize data for cost optimization cash optimization compliance optimization cloud optimization and customer 360 degree
1: and other than actually talking about how they did it or the lessons learned or are you going to draw the whole architecture on the screen somewhere? What kind of talks, uh, what, 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 how is the, the content of the talk structured?
2: We have two, totally three segments. You know, one is on the business side. We are primarily bringing uh, uh, executives uh, on the business side uh, to talk about, you know, A, bring some customers to talk about how they've done, how they've solved a problem. And then we're also bringing some industry experts in that. What can Mm -hmm. you solve Mm -hmm. uh, as well? And uh, so it's primarily on the business side, Focus primarily on what can you do and and also examples of what have you done. Then we have got a technical panels, which is focused on uh, dig deep into technical. How did they solve it? Uh, And then third, we have uh, actually partner section, where we'll have partners who will kind of really available over there as uh, booths, et cetera, where they can showcase, mm. demo uh, some of the solutions as well. So these are all big data applications across business, technical and uh, and partners.
0: So you mentioned that there's uh, a number of a number of partners sort of uh, speaking. Who are, the, who are the, some of the, sort of the key people that, that uh, people sessions should look out for or booths they should seek out? Who, who are some of the, the top folks there? So
2: we have uh, uh, companies like uh, IBM is sponsored. Obviously, the, the big one is Hortonworks, uh, both uh, uh, Rob Bearden, the CEO, and uh, Scott Gannou, CTO, both are attending the event. And they are going to be the keynote panel. Uh, and besides Hortonworks, we'll have IBM, NTT Data, uh, LNT, uh, to name, and there are like a bunch of other companies that uh, uh, we are in the process of getting. So, uh, so you'll see, you know, all major companies, all major SI partners who are involved in big data applications. But the names I mentioned are some of the ones that have uh, signed up for the New York event. And uh, in terms of customers. Uh, you know, uh, Citibank, uh, Merck, uh, AIG Insurance, uh, you know, a bunch of other companies. Uh, you know, we are, uh, the agenda is on, on our website, www.solixempower.com. So you have, uh, uh, you know, some of the panel members. Uh, we just announced yesterday about 25 speakers, and uh, we're still in the process of uh, announcing a few more uh, In in the next couple of weeks, etc. So it'll be. uh, I think these are some of the sessions and partners over there.
0: Excellent. And so, for for those that are thinking about that, this sounds interesting, and are within a sensible travelling distance. Who who are the kind of attendees that you think would get the most value out of uh, coming to this conference?
2: This one, you know, primarily. uh, So, if you look at, there are two. Three major things, you know, one is uh, on the business side, we want to inspire enterprises on new ideas, what they can do with data. And so we are looking for executives to participate You know, primarily, you know, the future is all going to be data driven. Future is all going to be AI driven enterprises. And we want to inspire in terms of how they can transform themselves into uh, to AI-driven kind of an enterprise. So there will be ideas, innovations that we will be presenting. Uh, You know, for instance, like even chatbots, how we can automate your entire customer support uh, uh, using digital labor. Uh, We might even be exhibiting a digital doctor, a virtual doctor, where uh, uh, a $300 PC uh, will behave like a $300,000 doctor where you can provide a blood report and it analyzes a blood report and you are able to exchange communication. Again, these are all ideas that we are presenting uh, at the event. Uh, And uh, uh, so business executives for ideas and also practitioners uh, like architects uh, and uh, developers, etc. We've got uh, on data lake, data security, we got like a you know uh, uh, logical data warehouse. So we've got deep technical uh, sessions as well. That will be helpful. And the third thing is also networking uh, for uh, you know uh, meeting peers in the. We are expecting about 300 plus uh, folks on this in this event. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's also going to be a networking kind of a thing. It's it's well packed. Whole day event starting from 8 a.m. all the way until 8:30, and uh, uh, we, we literally packed like a, quite a lot of content. So it's a one day. Uh, I think if you were to dedicate, and uh, we believe we can inspire, we can on uh, some new ideas and uh, help them learn some new stuff. Also help them network uh, uh, with their peers uh, in the in the uh, in this market.
0: So the the dates for the conference and the, the logistics around it, the venue, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, this event is in metropolitan uh, events in uh, New York. It's on November first, uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's in New York, and uh, uh, we are uh, expecting uh, quite a lot of executives. I think three hundred plus. Uh, again, it's a. Uh, Uh, this event is going to be very different from the traditional big data events all focused on applications
0: and uh, obviously you've uh, you've partners with us giving us the opportunity to give away uh, some free tickets to the event as well so if this if this does sound interesting carry on listening to the episode and you'll find uh, find out just how you can uh, win tickets to uh, attend the A solix empower event but if not if you're not lucky enough to uh, win those tickets then you can go ahead to empower.solix.com and uh, find out details there all right so if anything uh, is there anything else that you'd like to mention about
2: the event anything that you're particularly looking forward to so uh we have done two events so far. You know, the very first event we did in uh, Bay Area, Silicon Valley, around two years back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had close to about three hundred attendees. And last year we did an event in Bangalore. We mm-hmm. had about thousand attendees. And yeah. uh, and uh, this one uh, we are targeting about three hundred attendees. And uh, we met our target number literally two weeks before the the event. Uh, so I expect. Uh, uh, same thing to happen over here. We are getting sponsorship from uh, Thai New York, uh, which is uh, uh, Thai is the Indus Entrepreneurs uh, Forum, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Thai New York, Thai New Jersey, and uh, Thai Philadelphia. And uh, plus, uh, uh, you know, some of the partners uh, uh, that we are working with, uh, the, the local analytic association is also sponsoring the event. They're also going to be there, uh, analytic practitioners. Uh, and uh, uh, and also, you know, partners are also going to be bringing their prospects and all of that. So uh, uh, the people, I think the, the industries that are out there, the pharmaceutical industry, the financial services industry, and uh, 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 even insurance industry, etc., I think this will be a great place to kind of really come and uh, uh, network. And, uh, and I'm pretty certain uh, you will uh, live the day uh, that you learned something. And uh, you also uh, got inspired. And that's the, that's the goal. And that's what I'm really hoping for. Uh, we'll repeat that uh, this time as well. Fantastic. All right.
0: So there you go. November the 1st, the Metropolitan Pavilion in New York, 8.30 a.m. till 5 p.m., Solix Empower. Be there or be square. <laughs> With that, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to thank Sai for, for joining us and uh, telling us about uh, Solix and Solix Empower. Look forward to you and hopefully you have a great
2: event. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Thank you, Jum. Thank you for this opportunity.
0: Thank you. So again, thanks to Sai for walking us through Solix Empower and uh, all the exciting things that uh, you'll find there. Um, If you are interested in attending the event, we have uh, some free tickets that uh, we can give away. Much in the same vein of our DataWorks Summit uh, ticket giveaways, uh, in this case, just drop us an email to solixempower18 at roaringelephant.org. Uh, again, email address will be in the show notes. Look out for Jon's tweets mm-hmm. and my LinkedIn posts.
1: And if you're interested
0: att- in attending, yeah. that's you, the way to get there.
1: And if you want to attend and if you do attend and you want to talk about it afterwards, get in touch. We might just get you on the show. Indeed. And that's all for the
0: events, isn't it? No, it's not. No, There's more events. More events. More <laughs> events. Um, yeah, this, this episode is just packed with eventy stuff. Um, so if you like your events, uh, this is the one for you. Anyway, um, <laughs> coming up soon, we have H2O World. Um, for those that aren't familiar with uh, H2O, think of all things uh, data science and AI-related goodness um we are involved we are engaged with the team there and uh, we may even be attending
1: yes it, uh, apparently it's the first time that this uh, h2o ai world event is being held on this side of the atlantic pond because usually this is done in the us but this time they're mm-hmm. in london the end of october yeah. so it's uh, close enough for us to be reasonably affordable to go <laughs> indeed and uh, they've reached out to us, and we've reached back, and uh, things are in motion, so keep an eye on this, uh, on this place. And uh, you never know what pops up.
0: Indeed. Look out for the tweets <laughs> and the LinkedIn. <laughs> so, plenty more news now. Uh, we actually have a special news article where we're joined by Sanjeev and Siji from, uh, from Streamlio, who have some great news to tell us about Apache Pulsar um so sanjeev cg um welcome to the podcast cg you know this is your i think uh you've been with us a number of times now so you're an old hand yes (laughs)
1: yes
0: (laughs) we should make him an uh, honorary co-host indeed indeed (laughs) but uh sanjeev welcome welcome to the roaring elephant podcast thanks dave so maybe, um, Sanjeev, if you start, just tell us, uh, give us a few words about you, um, what you do at Streamleo and, and what, you, what you've been involved in with Apache Pulsar.
3: Uh, hey, so I'm Sanjeev. Uh, my background is in you know, distributed systems, uh, in particular, real-time stream processing um, and message queues and so on. My background is in you know, Google and, and Twitter. Um, and over at Streamlio, we had this opportunity, great opportunity of you know combining and providing a great uh, seamless experience of providing a real time framework for our customers. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of that journey um, at Streamlio. Uh, you know, my title nominally is a CTO or a chief technology officer, mm-hmm. but as we all know in startups, you know uh, you know that's just a hat. We <laughs> wear many hats every day. Um, you know, so I'm a salesman when it's need to be. I'm am I'm, I'm coding when I need to, uh, and so on. So I'm speaking when I when I'm supposed to, and so on, so forth. So doing a lot of stuff, uh, and you know, it's been great working with uh, with Pulsar and, and the broader Apache community. Uh, you know, in in Pulsar, particularly, I've pushed the uh, functions framework, um, which is uh, providing a very simple yet lightweight uh, framework. Uh, for doing computations on on pulsar as uh, you know native computations as opposed to depending on uh, an external uh, system.
0: All right, excellent. And uh, say, so, CG, uh, welcome back. But uh, for yeah. those for those new to the podcast who maybe haven't heard your dulcet tones before, uh, please give a, a brief introduction
4: to to yourself and and what you what you do at Streamlier. uh Sure. Uh, so my name is Jie, and uh, I'm also from Streamleo. And uh, I'm kind of uh, mostly doing uh, uh, works around uh, messaging, and also I would say uh, streaming, stream storage, and database replication. And previous, uh before joining Streamlio, it's, uh I'd work at Twitter and leading the whole uh, messaging group layer. And I think this is my kind of second journey on the messaging or streaming related uh, uh, architecture, in particular uh, with uh, Apache Pulsar. And yeah, that's my brief introduction. Wonderful, thanks very much. So, as I say, for the, for
0: those that uh, maybe haven't uh, haven't heard about Apache Pulsar, and maybe those newer to the podcast. Um, could you, could you give us sort of a, a very quick introduction to Apache Pulsar? In, in a, a couple, of, couple of sentences, what is Apache Pulsar? And I guess what, what differentiates it from other, other technologies in the similar space? Maybe, Sanjeev, you, you go for that one.
3: Um, sure. So Apache Pulsar is a next-generation uh, sub system that was originally conceived and, and developed and open-source at Yahoo!, uh, right when Yahoo was developing, uh, looking at PubSub that work at, at an enterprise level, uh, you know that scales to thousands of users, millions of streams, and so on and so forth. The existing tools that were out there were either not up to the mark, or very antiquated, or very limited in their feature set. Um, so Yahoo took it in that you know to really meet their needs, uh, you know they needed to develop a brand new system, and that's how Apache Pulsar came into being. Uh, but you know, as Apache Pulsar has evolved uh, as an Apache project beyond Yahoo, it is more than becoming a just a pub sub system. It's becoming a message queuing system uh, because you know message queuing is something that's that's coming out of Pulsar very uh, very seamlessly, um, as well as a, it's a compute framework. Um, and a storage framework as well. So you know, right from the roots of PubSub, it has morphed into a much more broader, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 an ecosystem uh, kind of a project.
0: All right, excellent. So for for those who uh, you know think this sounds interesting and would like to go into more depth, um, we actually had uh, some time with uh, CGM and, and Matteo um, from Streamlio. Um, you can check out episodes one hundred and one and one hundred and three, uh, most recently. And if you want to go even further back, we've we've had we've had the guys on before as well. So uh, yeah, plenty of stuff if you're interested 60. in. Uh, yeah, if plenty of stuff if you're interested in delving back into into more depth. So. What does it what does it mean to become uh, an Apache top level project? We should say that that's actually the the, uh, the 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 point of us having a quick chat. Yeah, you now. give it away. Though. Spoiler um, alert! I know. Spoiler <laughs> alert! Congratulations, guys, for uh, for getting a, a project to uh, top level project status at Apache. Uh, but you know, what does it what does it mean to to get a project through this uh, through incubating and to top level project status?
4: Uh, I would say. Uh, being an incubate uh, project, uh, being a top le- level project doesn't uh, has nothing to do with the maturity of a project. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, Yahoo Open Source Pulsar Pulsar is already on production uh, for like almost uh, four years, so it's a beta tested <laughs> system, so it's kind of uh, already mature enough for being using in production. So uh, that uh, from going from incubate to a project, to a top-level project, is we, we try to uh, build the uh, uh, community in ecosystem for following the Apache way. So that means uh, when we grow, graduate as a top-level project, that means uh, the adoption of PaSA has became, has growing into a, a level that is the whole community on the the, mar- uh, the market thinking. PASA is good enough to be widely adopted, and uh, from contributor perspective, is uh, Parsa already established uh, uh, community that is uh, contribute uh, code changes from um, multiple national uh, enterprise, from internet companies to uh, traditional like retail related companies that they are making contributions. Uh, uh, graduating as a top-level project means uh, the community itself is large enough mm-hmm. to uh, carry on uh, all the decisions uh, with a PMC uh, organization so they can lead leading the whole uh, roadmap and uh, we have enough uh, participate and also contributors to take the project into next level.
1: Yeah, so, so it's much more a kind of maturization of the whole project ecosphere around it so that people can actually... For me, when I see an Apache label on there, I do see something that's not... It may be new and innovative, but it's there to stay. It's not going to go away anymore. It has some stability yes.
0: now. Yep. And it, it's it's an interesting thing that so many organizations get wrong. You know, people <laughs> people are very good at at releasing code and open sourcing stuff. But a lot of people yep. are terrible at actually building communities around it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, well done on. And I think this is one of the things that Apache does well is is actually enforces people to build that that community around it. If you want to get that top level project status, but not everybody gets there. There's um, there's still many projects that still uh, are incubating status after many many years. So, well done yeah. on, on on investing in that community and because I think it's it through the DM. That's it. Yeah yeah it's a good yeah. achievement. Well, I would actually say seeing it through to the beginning. To the beginning, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <there's laughs> you've built a community and, and now now things, you know, potentially would even start to accelerate beyond what you've done so far.
4: Yeah, I think it's a it's also an interesting uh, uh, as you said we like we really see like the community going from zero to like uh, I would say a lot right now and especially it's not just happening in uh, uh, silicon valley it also ha- happening everywhere mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like uh it ha- we see contributions from uh brazil we see com- contributions from uh e- european and we also see uh fast growing community in china right now and we also have uh the adoption of POSA is not just uh, being in silicon valley also it's also the kind of spreading across the uh, multiple nations so it's a kind of interesting uh journey to see like how uh, open source community can growing from zero and it happens concurrently in different places not just in uh like us yeah. so that is a very interesting uh, aspect i i'm thinking
0: yeah i mean so what what does the the future hold what when's the when's the next release that you're aiming for and, and what are the the next immediate steps that uh this, this newly uh, top level project is gonna start tackling next?
3: So the next release is actually coming right next week. Um, right. And, you know we've we've had like great uh, some exciting features uh, you know that are that are gonna be part of uh, 2.2. Uh, you know in particular like you know we'll have the first version of SQL where, you know, Pulsar not just being a message system, uh, but also can actually act as, you know, long-term storage via the tiered storage approach that we've had. Now, once people are, are putting a lot of the data in Pulsar, they're saying, you know what, I want to actually query this thing mm-hmm. thing and point my Tableau to it and, and do some interesting analysis, right? So, you know, SQL interface that we have sort of built in the, in the last release is going to um, uh, provide them a seamless way of hooking their already existing data tools uh, and visualization tools to pulsar and see what's going on in the system, right? So we, we anticipate 2.2 happening, uh, you know, time, uh, any time next week. Um, and 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 beyond 2.2 uh, you know there are there are a host of features that the whole community has been asking and so on and so you know the the development of pulsar will will hopefully go on in the same way that it has been going ever since it was uh, contributed to Apache right uh, you know the the community will 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 make decisions about you know what are the pressing items what are the bug fixes or what are the new features that they need and hopefully it's not just you know in the community and as CJ said not just in Silicon Valley but but in Europe and, uh, you know, in Brazil and in China, who are going to chip in with all those contributions and move this project uh, forward.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Next week already, so uh, no time to party.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Very small party. I mean, you've got the weekend, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's British partying for you. Yeah. That, yeah <laughs> party at the weekend and then back to work on Monday. Um, all right. So... I, anything else that uh, that that you'd like to like to bring up anything else you'd like to mention
3: um uh, you know so one of the things that you know as as CJ uh, suggested it uh, it's it's been it's been great to See interest coming from not just Silicon Valley but outside. So, and we've been actually uh, surprised at the kind of uh, contributions, uh, you know. So, because generally, you know, uh, in open source and the other open source that we have seen, there are a lot of contributors, but most of them are like a one-line fixers and so on. Uh, Mm -hmm. But you know, a bunch of our users uh, have been actually adding significant features that um, you know that uh, that just uh, demonstrate uh, their actual, you know. Uh, you know, they are kind of saying, you know what, this is a great system. Let me actually spend some time and add this cool mm-hmm. feature that I actually need to use, yeah. uh, you know, and that might actually take, you know, uh, you know it's not just a one line feature. It's actually a more involved feature. So it's, it's heartening to see the community um, actually sort of uh, doing that. And uh, that's been my biggest, uh, you know, it's, a, it's been a sort of a pleasure uh, mm-hmm. watching that. And we, we simply hope that that contribution uh, will continue and will continue to uh, come from more, more quarters. Excellent. we well,
1: will have links in the show notes uh, pointing people to the the GitHubs and uh, your site. So that if they want to contribute, they'll know where to find you.
0: Yeah, definitely, yep. and that's, that's that's really good to hear. Because uh, the, the, the the press release, uh, and we'll we'll put a quick link to that, I'm sure, in the show notes as well. Uh, mentioned, you know, a number of different organisations that are that are also you know working with you on this. So the, it's it's good to hear that it's not just uh, you know it's substantial contributions that you're starting to see already. So. Great news! Yep. Yep. Well, yep. that's that's about all the time we have. Unfortunately, um, we will get back to more news next. But first of all, you know, thanks, thanks, Sanjeev, and thanks once again, CG, um, for yep. for chatting to us. And you know, may may Apache Pulsar continue on and strong.
4: Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us talking about Pulsar. I no problem you. at all. You're very welcome. Is <sighs> that all of it? I think that was all of it. Wow! I think
0: that's that's all of the events that we have to talk about today. Maybe,
1: yes. I mean, it's, it's a big difference from August, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yes, yes.
1: It's like back to and school. We haven't <laughs> even
0: started the news yet. News? What's news? Who news? Well, I'll tell you what's news. Ah, don't how what about news. how about using uh, using data science or well, at least that's using not R, news. Um, to analyze. Who's created various anonymous uh, um, opinion uh, posts? So there was a. This is a Revolution Analytics article um, that is from the seventh of September, so reasonably recent, um, and it's talking about a uh, an article that's supposedly from a current member of the White House staff. Content doesn't really matter, but uh, what's kind of interesting is three different people use broadly similar methods with slight kind of differences in order to try and analyze um, who that who they think actually wrote the uh, the article um, in the New York Times. So um, most of them use um, pretty much used the. Uh, Tweets as a data source to work out, you know, from various senior staff members, um, how what's the level of similarity between the tweets that they've created and the article? Now, obviously, there's a number of things in here that sort of mess that whole thing up. You know, not all the tweets are created by the actual people themselves. Some of them are done by their staff. Um, the article itself will no doubt also have had some kind of uh, redirection and and sort of misinformation in terms of the way that it's structured in order to try and obscure mm-hmm. that. But uh, I just think it's it's kind of interesting that the the analysis comes up with um, you know three different um, sort of potential uh, authors depending on how you analyze the data. Um, uh, one of the ones that I particularly like uh which is the one by michael kearney and again this, this this article links to each of the three sort of more in-depth analysis um and it sort of suggests if you just look at the raw data then the uh the closest correlation is either the the vice president or the president themselves which is very very unlikely given the uh given the content of the piece uh, so again, use common sense. Uh, don't just blindly <laughs> rely on the facts. But it's just kind of interesting. Three different ways to sort of perform that sort of analysis. Three different, uh, three different sets of results. Who's right? Nobody knows.
1: Yeah. Three different uh, ways of visualizing that. all well. it's probably Indeed. why you picked it out, right? I admit it. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not at all in, uh, paying attention to the whole geopolitical thing at the moment. It, I mean, the world's messed up enough as it is. I don't need to add I'm my all part of it. the data. But uh, the one thing, th- this is really about bias in your in your data set. And the whole thing about bias is one of the newest, um, call it, uh, hyped up bingo buzzwords things for the moment, it's getting your bias out of your data, bias out of your models. And it mm. uh, sounds like this is actually a nice uh, demonstration of how bias can really skew data in a certain way. Yeah. Which, yeah. of course, gets uh, used and abused very liberally by people making benchmarks and Indeed. stuff like
0: that. Or statistics. <laughs> lies, damn lies, and statistics and benchmarks.
1: Um, I'm kind of... Uh, I mean, they're using t d d i d f idf and I can see why. I mean, it gives you a way of uh, uh, putting a number on the text and then seeing if the numbers match up. Mm-hmm. To really paraphrase it, but I would have expected a lot more of emotion detection and that kind of... Uh, and not a simple emotion detection of uh, happy, sad face and stuff like that, but emotion about certain contexts and also using tweet tweets to, uh, to kind of compare to a, a an article, a real long, yeah. long written text. I mean, even they if they do at my tweets, I, when I do yeah. longhand, it doesn't look at my tweets. Honestly, promise. Yeah. Even my tweets. Yeah. They, they
0: do mention that the, <laughs> the, the actual method, I mean, but that's, again, that's all about, that's all about the, the bias and yeah. the data or the, it's, it's just the it's approaches, a yeah. a different yeah. approach. But, uh, yeah, they do mention that, that there are a number of limitations, like yeah. I mentioned, the fact that not all the tweets are written by the people themselves, some of them are written by their staff and all that yeah. sort of stuff. I also
1: want say that the visualizations, uh, they don't really gel with me. I don't really think they're good in conveying what they mean. I know you have a bit of a hang-up on their visualizations.
0: Yeah, I, I think the the first and third ones don't really do anything for me. I think the second one is the closest one to something that I I think actually shows a level of uh, a level of conveying the actual message. But yeah. yeah, could be better. Could be worse.
1: Yeah, could be nothing at all.
0: Indeed. Anyway,
1: article on revolutions. That's it's by David Smith, I see, at the end there. Yep. So, okay,
0: anything else? That's all. That's, That's all, all on that.
1: Okay, enough talk politics. To
0: me about, <laughs> talk. Yeah, definitely. Talk to me about, about notebooks.
1: Uh, well, it's not about notebooks specifically, although the article is entitled Beyond Interactive Notebook Innovation at Netflix. And it's on the Medium uh, blocks uh, sites, and it's written by Michelle Uford, and Pacer, Matthew Seal, and Kyle Kelly. So a lot of people there, and I'm, I haven't double-checked, but I'm assuming they're all employees at Netflix in some way, shape, or form. And it's a very lengthy article, and the reason I picked it out is uh, they're talking about notebooks as a tool for everything. Let me personally, uh, with my own myopic view of the big data world, Jupyter uh, notebooks. That's for Spark programming, right? That, that's it. Well, apparently, yes, you can do that, but you can do a lot more with it. And Netflix has been uh, over the last few years. I think they really don't they don't give you timelines, but what uh, if you look read through the article? This is a lot of a lot of effort has gone in there. Have adopted the whole notebook idea for everything in their data estate. And at the beginning, they kind of talk about the different uh, data roles have at Netflix. And if people remember our previous news episode, we kind of talked about that as well. But we ended up with three or four. They were, actually have nine here. We <laughs> have an algorithm engineer and an analytics engineer and a data engineer. But I guess, yeah, if you're really a data company, this kind of specialization does occur. And so the start of the article is talking about how these different um, data roles use different tools and different uh, data sets but in the end, turns out, do pretty much the same thing in a different way, with a different tool. And by homogenizing all that, they were hoping to create, oh, let, let's do buzzard bingo, more synergy in the whole uh, uh, environment there. And
0: I love more synergy.
1: <laughs> yeah, synergy works.
0: It smells like victory.
1: But apart from just doing the abstracted, yeah, this is the idea and the vision and the blah blah, blah they also really talk about more details about what they do what they did they don't go into the full detail but they have links to a lot of uh, open source projects and github repositories where their actual data resides because uh, near the end of the article they actually say that uh, all this stuff we believe in open source so it's all going to open source stuff that's great mm-hmm. and what they actually did if you scroll down a bit in the article again this is great uh, great radio they do have a kind of an uh, architectural piece there but they have the new Things they built, which are called Entract. Uh, well, Entract isn't them. Entract is something they, use, they took from somewhere else, another open source project that allows you to give you a different front end on the notebook uh, uh, server. And the main reason they did that was for better visualization. Because we've talked in the past uh, about Jupyter and Zeppelin. And yeah. one thing Zeppelin did way better than Jupyter was doing the, the visualizations, having the, the, the graphs you could do in there. And their way of solving that problem was going with Entract.
0: Um, and just mm-hmm. before that, though, they actually talk about the some of the different use cases that they implement in the uh, in the notebook. So, you know, one is is data access, which I think is somewhat more kind of somewhat more of a traditional um, use. People just using it to access you know the entire the all the data from that notebook interface. Um, then they talk a bit about the notebook templates, different sort of types of templates for different um, user pros- personas. So, for example, the data scientist running experiments with different coefficients and summarizing the results. Uh, the data engineer would have one that's executing a collection of data quality audits. The data analyst sharing prepared queries and visualizations. Uh, and the software engineer uh, emailing the results of a troubleshooting script each time there's a failure. Um, so that, But that's all just kind of one uh one use case the second one is using them for scheduling um which is kind of interesting uh, and then yeah as it's, as you say it goes on to the the inf- infrastructure sort of behind it
1: yeah i was going to use infrastructure to demonstrate each of those use cases but uh, you kind of totally screwed up my my storyline here
0: absolutely we have to
1: erase this episode and start all over again no <laughs> Uh, But yeah, you're totally correct, of course. And basically that's what they're talking about in a little architecture there because besides from using the the notebook for just data analytics, that the real exploratory... Sparking of your data, if I'm kind of use that word that way. Uh, they also wanted to use the same stuff to use it to schedule jobs uh, through the night and have people, multiple people, concurrently access the same uh, notebooks. And one of the things they mentioned here is that at the start they had a lot of problems with people overwriting, corrupting note- uh, notebooks because they were concurrently accessing and writing to the data set. So they had to find something to to make that also work. So they had commuter that enables that thing. The scheduler actually takes a source notebook and every time it needs to be run, it creates a copy and runs that copy. That way you have a, a real source of their job that ran at any point in time for any kind of debugging and stuff. And that's the paper mill thing they used. They're using mm-hmm. a Docker container. They call it Titus, uh, where they actually put all that stuff in to do the uh, interactive and batch scheduling. So there's that, a whole, yeah, a whole flow framework they built there. And it's actually quite impressive.
0: Very much so. Um,
1: they're also based on uh, Amazon AWS, so they interface with uh, Amazon S3 and Amazon EFS. And EFS is not an acronym. I'm, I thought EFS was EBS was their acronym, but it doesn't matter. The, the stories were layers of Amazon, and it's actually quite nice that they explain how they did it, why they did it, and with all the links to, to the to the source code to the to the projects out there, and also showing you the the, the reasons why they did all this. But I'm not saying that this is something that every company out there should do. I do think that this is only really valid for a company that's so ingrained in data as a Netflix and, I don't know, I guess a uh, Facebook a Twitter or LinkedIn, the, those kinds of uh, companies. But it did really open my eyes to what else you can do with something as quote-unquote simple as a notebook.
0: Yeah. And yeah, so- I think I think we've... I would say I think we've only really scratched the surface of, of of what notebooks could and will be used for in the future. I think you're, you're right there in terms of eyes being opened. And, and I think the, the opportunity is probably far larger than uh, than most people realize. I think yeah. as we see you know, more of the um, uh, sort of multi-tenancy and multi-role and multi-user sort of things bubble up through the notebook architecture... Um, I, think, I think we will see interesting ways that notebooks start to get used more and more.
1: Uh, it's also, more, for me, a more generic uh, thought that historically you, you buy a piece of software in a shop and it's a word processor or, or it's a that design, a CAD program, and that's what it does. It has a manual that tells you what it can do, and that's the end. But honestly, with, with open source things, yes, you go to an open source repository to download something because you need something that does X, and then you keep using that project to do X, but because of the whole flexibility and plug-in ability and the way open source typically is structured, there's often a lot more that that product can also do or also be used for. So you, you kind of need to have a different way of looking at the at the software solution compared to a old style commercial application you buy somewhere on the, in a shop.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would I would also say that that's. To a certain extent at least, that's been that way a long time, especially for things like yeah. like Hadoop and like the, the big data ecosystem, because yeah. in in the majority of ways it is it is really all it's all platform. It's it, framework. It's, a platform, it's not it's, yeah, yeah, it's platform and framework. It's not sort of out of the box, you know, CAD program mm-hmm. that you can just immediately start
1: yeah, my point Zoning is, your house with. do you think that people actually recognize that today? And a certain people definitely do, but the majority of people that are just now, because of the whole big data revolution, um, hey, another a buzzword, uh, get in touch with this uh, freedom of, of, of application application abilities, they don't have that mindset probably. I mean, I, I found myself yeah. trapped here when I read this article. I was thinking, hey, crap, I taught you by to notebooks. That was that thing you did your spark jobs in. Yep. <laughs> so even if, if even I can fall for this <laughs> I yeah, know, yeah, low yeah. bar <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's a nice article It's from Netflix Netflix is pretty good at open source as far as I, uh, I'm i aware And they're approving it again here uh, It's an ongoing blog series So I'm talking about the first part And the second part specifically about the scheduling notebooks Is also up already by the time you will yeah. be uh, hearing this And uh, there's some dot, dot, dot beneath the part two, so I'm assuming there's going to be a part three, four, five, six, and maybe 11, because everything needs to go up to 11, right? Always. So, uh, yeah, as always, links will be in the show notes, and uh, I think it was a good read. Indeed. Excellent. And with that... Unless you have anything else to say.
0: No, I think we might finally uh, finally have made a bite-sized episode. (laughs)
1: Uh, well let's hope i still need to do the editing but we'll see how far we end (laughs) but since i have to do the editing that is all the time we have for today we hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data we will be back next week with a new episode until then please go to www.drawingelf.org where you can find more information including a feedback form you can also follow us, well, me on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and contact us by email to podcast at RoaringElephant.org. Send us any thoughts, comments, criticisms and other feedback you may have. Don't forget to send email if you want one of those free tickets to one of the events we talked about at the beginning of this uh, episode.
0: But until next time, my name is John, And my name is Dave.
1: We look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye.
0: See you then.